Snatter, just talking to teachers. Talking to teachers about academic research and evidence-based practice with continuing professional development at PNA1977 on Twitter. Nimmer Snatter, just talking to teachers. Hello and welcome to another Nailers Natter in association with the Teacher Development Trust. And just to start with a huge thank you for all the positive comments about last week's podcast with Matt Pinkett. And this felt to me, uh, and I'm sure to a lot of you, a really important episode. and One in which uh, I opened up a little bit more than usual. So uh, thank you for allowing me to do that, Matt. Really, really enjoyed speaking to you. And it also appears that off the back of that, we seem to be uh, getting bigger in Australia. So lots of messages from down under. So. So, you know, without sounding like Alan Partridge, you know, good day all and uh, thank you for tuning in. So this week I'm in conversation with Sam Strickland, a.k.a. the Strickomaster, a.k.a. Jason Statham, uh, if you listen to previous guest Mark Lee Hayne, um, and he's going to be talking about his new book, Education Exposed. And we've also got in the podcast pedagogy section, so I'm going to be revising um, or revisiting even a classic following our discussion on class uh, with Matt last week. And uh, I've also been reading, uh, as I mentioned on the podcast last week, Lowborn by Kerry Ellis. So this week I'll be recommending The Road to Wigan Pier by George Orwell, and it will, um, it's around the time of 70 years since Eric Blair's death. So we will delve into parts one and two and look at how much or indeed how little has changed in the eight decades since its publication. And apparently, according to Twitter correspondence and other messages, my music and film reviews are being well received. I'm not claiming to be an expert. I'm merely trying to promote the idea that as teachers, we need to uh, enjoy our free time and make sure that we're using it wisely. So I'm going to continue those. So I'm going to be um, it's been a bit of a grammar pedant over the Cortina's More Again Forever. And I'm going to give um, a recommendation for the Sam Mendes or Sir Sam Mendes directed 1917 film we've also got plugs for uh, the upcoming research eds and we've got a new blog or i've got a new blog coming out on friday the first on a series of behavior uh, blogs so this week i'm going to be looking at the meet and greet routine and this should be added to the website that's nailersnatter.co.uk later today so uh, without further ado over to my interview with sam strickland Okay, so hello, Sam, and welcome to the podcast. Hi there, how are you? Yes, good, thank you. And as we're recording this, we just conversation before we came on air to say we're both back to school. So we're both, uh, you know, <laughs> Christmas seems like a long time ago. Eh? Now back with a bang. Back with a bang, indeed. And yes, and you've had an inset day, and we, we've had two full days straight back in in Blackpool, so no messing about, sure. straight in. <laughs> So, um, to energise us further on this January evening, we're going to be talking to you about your new books. So we're going to be talking about Education Exposed, so that's leading a school yeah. in a time of uncertainty. But before we get into some questions around that, Sam, is it okay mm. if we start with our usual question, which is just a gentle introductory question? So, just tell us a little bit about you, your journey to this point, and I guess how you came to, to be writing this book. Yeah, no, no problem at all. Um, so, oh gosh, I started, uh, started out as a trainee teacher, uh, under Christine Council many, many sort of moons ago. Um, and that was at the, the University of Cambridge in secondary history. Um, I then moved on to, be, to become a history teacher, uh, kind of in my own right, so to speak. 
Um, and that was interesting in the first few years because I, I taught eight different subjects. Five of them were up to A-level uh, standards as an NQT, a second and a third year teacher. Uh, then became a head of history uh, within the same school uh, and a lead practitioner for teaching and learning. Um, and also uh, I worked for a SCIT consortium uh, training t- uh, trainee teachers myself. Uh, I then moved to be um, an assistant head teacher in charge of a sixth form in an all-girls school, which was completely different to my first school, which was a mixed, comprehensive upper school. Uh, And I did that role for nearly five years. I headed up a consortium arrangement uh, with two other schools within uh, the town where I was working uh, for for the post-16 kind of consortium that we had in place. Uh, And then I moved on to become uh, a vice principal uh, within a trust and worked there for five and a half-ish years uh, and wore every hat you can imagine. So safeguarding, behaviour, student care, sick form, curriculum, school improvement. Uh, I was the trust-wide safeguarding lead as well. Uh, and I was acting head for a year. And then I moved to where I currently am, which is uh, the Dustin School, uh, which is a big all-through school. Starts with early years, goes all the way up to post-16. Uh, and I'm uh, the substantive principal kind of in effect the exec head as well of um, of the school because it's a single academy trust um in terms of the school itself um it was a, not a great place when i took over it, it it was a cars improvement school that had, had been outstanding for a few years had then been downgraded um, and when i joined and probably as you heard when i spoke at rugby um the, the behavior was diabolical uh, it was like the wild west um the curriculum uh, wasn't in a great place either. It was a very, very skills-biased curriculum. Uh, there were lots of gimmicks and fads uh, across the, the curriculum, and especially with year 11, uh, there was almost 400,000, pounds of intervention pumped into year 11 from December to June to try and get kind of the year group over the line, but also to put them through high-speed courses. Uh, so every student was doing ECDL as one example to try and uh, you know reinforce bucket three, and it was IGCSE central everywhere. Um, and the approaches to teaching across the school um, were misguided, uh, and you know it's a shame because we've got absolutely cracking staff within the school. And kind of in terms of what I've done since I've been there, uh, spent the first because I joined in April of 2017, spent the first six weeks just getting to know everybody, meeting everybody individually, meeting groups of pupils. Uh, I then spent the next seven weeks in post to the second half of the summer term training everybody in a new approach to student care and a new behaviour system. And then the first year in post, kind of September to September, was solely about um, getting the culture, the climate, the ethos, the behaviour of the school right. Because I don't, I don't think you can really talk about anything else until you've got that secure and where you need it to be. The second full year in post was very much about the curriculum and moving fully away from a skills-based curriculum to a knowledge-based curriculum. We took the school from uh, minus 0.3 in terms of progress rate to 0.29 this summer. Uh, as in the summer of 2019, with the best GCSE results in the school's history. A-level results have gone through the stratosphere as well. Uh, We're now in the top 5% of all schools nationally um, for our A-level progress outcomes, which is amazing. And six six subject areas in the top 1% now nationally. Uh, I almost can't believe kind of how much progress we've made. And obviously a massive challenge now is to try and sustain where we are, which is no mean feat now in its own right. 
uh, and to keep the school moving forwards and ticking forwards. And very much this academic year, the, the theme for the improvement plan for the school and the approach is to do the same but better. So it's to keep everything as it is, but just to make it better, to embed what we've done so far. We, we don't need to keep changing, changing, changing. So I think we've done the big, hard changes that needed to take place and staff are really on board, which you couldn't, you know, you, you couldn't hope for really, um, you know, or hope for more uh, from them. So, yeah, that's kind of where, where I've come from and where I am and where I'm at. Okay, thank you. So just there, I mean, that sounds like uh, the perfect recipe for a book in terms of uh, <laughs> sharing this wisdom with other people because, I mean, just to go back to the start there, so, I mean, I was, yeah. you know, it was already a impressive start. So studied under Christine Council and then have worked yeah. in every kind of school, in every phase of school, in every position yeah. within a school. So, mm. and, and then obviously when, you know, you'd got to the, the peak of that and then you went and took over a school that, that had been great and was in, uh, experiencing some difficulties and then you've mm. made some massive differences there. So there's a lot of wisdom to share here, Sam. So can we get into the, the book and the chapters, if that's okay? Yeah, yeah, um, So the first thing, I mean, I suppose, and you, and you said it there just when you were, when you were introducing um, your sort of journey, that the first thing that people going into a school will look to try and to you know improve and and challenge is the behavior so mm. i know that one of your yeah. chapters is, is about behavior so i guess mm. what were the first things that you looked at how did you kind of establish those those routines and rules that you've got in place and you know how did you get the staff to come along with you and the pupils equally yeah yeah indeed um this will sound like I did nothing, but for the first few weeks, I just watched what was going on across the school, which is so difficult to, to kind of hold your nerve when you can see that everything that could be wrong is wrong. So to give you a few examples, every lesson, there would be 60 to 70 pupils walking the corridors because the school had stopped excluding for nearly two years. Students were freely telling teachers to uh, you know, go forth and multiply, uh, for want of a better phrase. Uh, and there were regular fights taking place as well. Um, so in terms of what, what I did, um, with it, but at the end of the, the kind of first full week in post, I sat down with the chair of the trust and we talked about a number of non-negotiables um, for which we would exclude. Just simple red lines, so swearing at a teacher, bringing illegal substances, fighting, all those kind of massive offside behaviours. We just needed to kind of decapitate those in many regards to make the school safe, actually, more than anything else. Because the, the other thing I faced when I joined was that a third of the teaching staff were leaving as I was joining. Um, I sort of questioned whether that was my aftershave to begin with. But, you know, as with any kind of sinking ship, you know, I can understand why people would uh, be heading for their hills. Um, so... Uh, Partly, I wanted to try and re retain the staff I did have, as well as to recruit people in. Um, so well, we brought those non-negotiables in, um, then spent quite a lot of time actually talking to pupils to find out their perspective and what, what they felt was wrong with the school and what they felt was needed, uh, as well as the staff. And everybody was saying the same thing, basically, that somebody needed to get a grip of the school, get a grip of the behaviour and turn the ship around in effect um which is then what we spent kind of the next seven eight weeks um really training the staff in how to do so we um really kind of harnessed the the role and the importance of the tutor within the school so and changed the structure of the school day so that tutor time starts 
starts the day and ends the day. So we top and tail our day with a tutor time. Uh, we brought in a series of uh, century planned activities for tutors to do. So we have five things that base um, our tutor times in the morning around. One is a literacy kind of big reads. So we have the big reads before you leave Dustin. So we start quite lowbrow with things like the Hunger Games. And then as pupils progress through the school, we'll go into kind of the Penguin classics like your Dorian Grace. We have a weekly numeracy challenge, a weekly um, knowledge organiser review, a weekly assembly and a weekly uh, wider global studies um, tutor time as well. And that, that's brought about a real degree of consistency to that start of the day. Um, but the tutors are, are integral to the, the overall student care model that we have um, and they're, they're integral also to the behaviour system that we have as well. So if a, tu- if a student receives a, a behaviour point, um, then a tu- their, their tutor will speak to the end of the day about why they receive that point. And then the expectation is that, that student will go and apologise to the teacher to rebuild the bridge with the, the teacher that they've, they've misbehaved for. Um, we distilled all the rules of the school because uh, there, there were hundreds of these rules when I joined and people were quoting different rules at me as were pupils and I had no understanding of what these rules actually really meant so we've got really simple really clear rules don't be late to school because that will result in a same day centralized attention uh, mobile phones with it sounds pretty fierce but we'll confiscate them for a week including the weekend uh, because I want the school to be mobile free and, and it is, you can't see mobile phones around the school at all if you came and visited. And then three really clear classroom rules, one around the teacher being the expert, one based around doing all the work to the best of your ability without distracting anyone else. And the other one is to arrive fully equipped with all of your homework completed. And if a pupil breaks those rules, they receive a behaviour point, not a sanction as in a detention. But if, um, and when you get one point, that's kind of your warning for the day. If you get two behaviour points or more, you're then in the same day centralised detention after school. And that was a big change that we, we made. And we saw an absolutely seismic kind of shift in behaviour in a really short period of time. Um, equally within classrooms, we've sat everybody in rows, predominantly we've sat pupils, boy, girl, because again through my observations of the school behavior wasn't wasn't where it should have been we had pupils arguing where they should sit um and engage and in many regards pupils were just having little chats with one another and not really engaging with the teacher that doesn't happen uh, now in fact to be fair um, it didn't happen after about two days of, of making this change across the school um students then realized they had to engage in the learning and what we actually found fairly quickly was that the the typical lesson or PowerPoint, whatever it might have been, that would have taken an hour, was taking teachers half an hour. So teachers had to plan more, so expectations increased, and the overall pace within lessons increased as well in terms of the diet of delivery, if that kind of makes sense. So, yeah, we we toughened up on on behaviour very purposely, really. Um, The majority of pupils are screaming out for that. Staff are screaming out for that. And culturally, there's just a huge, huge change. And to anybody that would question those approaches, because I'm sure that won't sit comfortably with everybody that listens to this podcast, my um, kind of retort would be come and visit us. Come and have a chat with staff and pupils in my school. Mm -hmm. 
No, I mean, you know, I, I'm I'm not going to offer any opinions on that kind of either way, <laughs> to be honest. But um, you know, obviously, it's made the difference for you and and for your mm. school. So you know, yeah. I'm sure lots of people can learn from that. And and I tell you, one thing that did strike me, Sam, when I came to see you at research at rugby is how much the staff were behind everything that you were doing, and you were surrounded, weren't you? I mean, you know, yeah. you know loads of your staff came along, and, and people don't do that, do they, on a Saturday in their own time, if you haven't no. got the staff backing. So how did you go about getting that kind of staff buy-in with, you know, the behaviour, but also, you know, with some of the other changes that you wanted to make? Yeah, I, I, think, I don't sort of, I'm not trying to downplay this, but or, or overstate this, but I actually think that, spending so much time one-to-one with every member of staff member of staff at the start was really important getting to know them um getting to understand from their perspective where the school was at what needed to happen to it but then actually responding to what was being said so it wasn't just you know death is you're nodding your head and going yeah, yeah okay I, I hear what you're saying but actually actioning what people were telling me so, so to give you an example uh, when I met with all of the middle leaders, again, one-to-one, they all cited how little training they'd had in what it was to be a middle leader. So we gave them, and, and we have to, you know, to today, so to speak, really targeted training and support in what it is to be a really highly effective middle leader. Uh, and I think they've appreciated that. Um, with staff, um, it was to bring in really clear routines for learning. Um, so the expectation across the school is that staff will meet and greet pupils. They will um, engage pupils in a do-now activity, which is a retrieval practice um, starter for five or starter for ten. We got rid of learning objectives across the whole school and we used big questions, which has saved teachers massive of time. Um, and then teachers will explain the context of the lesson and get straight into the, into the learning. Um, but again, it's, it's responding, I would argue, to kind of what staff tell you um, and being really agile and listening to what goes on across the school in real time, all the time. And I make a kind of an habitual habit now of meeting with every single member of staff at least once, if not twice in an academic year, just to talk about them and their professional development. Um, but we also spent um, quite a lot of time thinking about workload, not in a, a cheap sense, but in a very genuine sense, which staff have uh, appreciated, I would argue. Um, but also to, to think quite seriously about professional development across the school. So we give, to give you again another example, every member of staff has four ring-fenced CPD days in addition to the five statutory that we all should have um, to do whatever is relevant to them, uh, depending on what their role and their position within the school is. Just again, as another example. And we found that retention is really, really strong now. You know, I, I said a, a few minutes ago that a third of the staff were leaving as I joined. At the end of the first full year in post, only two people left in the summer. Last summer, five people left, and most of those were for promotions or to relocate somewhere else in the country. Um, and we, we're now in a position where whenever we advertise a role, we've got people chomping at the bit to come to work for us, which is great. Mm, no, absolutely. And you know, and, and what you have done as well in terms of you've been quite willing and quite open for people to come and visit you. But I know that equally yeah. you, you haven't have the attitude that, you know, you've got it all sorted and you've been out and visited no. lots of other places as well. And mm. I know that I know that you were quite recently up in Blackpool as well, weren't you? Uh, yeah. Visiting. yeah, that's right. So, you know, there's a lot of sharing and, and, and learning from each other in this. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we're not a closed um, closed book. I'm more than happy to host anybody that wants to come and visit the school. Uh, and yeah, absolutely, with, with the same token, 
not just myself, but my my senior team and my staff as a whole have been out on the road and visited lots of schools um, to try and gain as much information, understanding, ideas as we possibly can, bring them back to the school and think, well, will they fit our context? Uh, and, and we know we're not the finished article. I mean, you can never be the finished article, but we're not arrogant enough to say, you know, we're so good, we don't need anybody else's support. Um, and we're not prepared to support anybody else either. Um, yeah, that's certainly not the way in which we, we operate the school or I operate the school. Mm, yeah. So, I mean, that's great in terms of the behaviour chapters. And obviously that's whetted our appetite for, for, for more when we like that. So, like mm. I said at the beginning, the book's going to be out pretty soon. So, as people listening yeah. to this, the book will probably be out so around about the 20th. Um, <laughs> if we move into, you said at the beginning about the curriculum and when you came in, you know, you had yeah. a lot of fads and a lot of interventions and almost a kitchen sink being yeah. thrown at year 11. And as a new, you know, a head teacher going in, that must have been quite tempting for you to kind of make sure that the scores and the doors were great the first year. Um, so, how mm. did you go about? making those changes what kind of changes did you make uh, and and you know how did you get people again on board with that yeah um the the, the biggest kind of um of wins so to speak where were, were to have the clear routines to learning which i've, I've already kind of referenced which is kind of very Lamov rose and shine orientated the idea of a teacher meeting greeting the pupils having a retrieval practice starter using big questions uh, as, as one example um actually moving away from the skills-based curriculum as a whole brought many many members of staff on board staff were screaming out actually to to move away from that skills-driven approach that we had predominantly because it didn't really make any sense we we had the plc approach uh when i joined which is these giant placemats which are rag rated from you know emerging to mastery for a whole series of skills for any one given subject and in its own right, that is a very time-consuming activity for a member of staff to engage in, to have to rag rate those for every single pupil. So we've moved to um, retrieval practice assessments, which are marked against a raw mark and a percentage. That's really easy to understand. In terms of normal marking, we do whole class feedback, which has saved staff hundreds of hours, I would argue, in terms of teaching. Um, we've tried as best we can to, to reduce um, lots of things that distract teachers, so data drops, emails at weekends and emails over holidays, uh, as just a couple of examples, to free up time for staff to think about the curriculum, their subject knowledge. So in any one half term, we would give four or five of our, our of our meeting slots to departments and middle leaders to, to run the show, basically, and to, to work with their team on their curriculum, on their subject knowledge. Um, if Department X wants to bring in, you know, an examiner for paper one, I'm kind of making it up, but I'm not. I'm more than happy that they do that. Um, if they want to co-train one another, because they've all been on different courses, I don't know, because you've got, you've got six different PE teachers who have all learned, learned a new um, sport and they want to train one another, I'm really happy that they do that. Uh, but I, I think by giving that level of autonomy back to departments, that's gone down really, really well with staff and with middle leaders. And we've spent a lot of time training middle leaders um, and seconds in department in just what the curriculum actually is. Um, so I, you know, I'm not shy in saying this, but I've ripped apart uh, Mary Myatt's book, uh, the, the curriculum, lots of Tom Sherrington blogs, a lot of Christine Council's work. Uh, and any other kind of big thinker that's out there and turned it into kind of a bespoke package 
of training for middle leaders in, in what the curriculum actually is. So my staff understand what a progression model it means. They understand the core, the hinterland as terms. They understand what they want their pupils to, to know by the end of any one given uh, lesson, week, month, year, how that links to the national curriculum, etc. No, I mean, it's fascinating stuff. And some of those people that you talked about there, you know, I've been lucky enough to, to speak to mm. and, and, and to have conversations with around the curriculum. And I find that, you know, exactly as you said, it's given it's the best CPD for me to be able to speak to, you yeah. know, Mary Myatt, Martin Robinson, people like that about, you know, about the curriculum. And then, mm. you know, take that back into your sort of the, the day job, as it were. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so underpinning all of this is obviously leadership. Now, you talked about how you came up sort of through the ranks, really, didn't you, in terms of, you know, you'd done the yeah. assistant head teacher, you'd done um, the deputy head teacher, you'd done all the different roles and worn all the different hats. So, obviously, you were bringing a lot of experience to leadership. But, I mean, in the chapter about leadership, what are the kind of key takeaways that you, you're putting in the book there? Yeah, I think kind of key things. One is to well to, to roll up your sleeves and actually to get yourself involved that you're not so far removed from everybody um that you're kind of sat in an ivory tower while everyone gets everyone else gets on with it um another big aspect in terms of leadership for me is that uh, every every leader um in terms of the senior team is responsible for behavior um so it doesn't just sit with one person and you you kind of see the sacrificial assistant head that's flogged to death that, you know, that, that does behaviour on their own. It, it is a team effort. Um, and we're, again, in terms of the context that I'm in, we, we changed the roles of, of the whole team um, and, and internally promoted uh, a couple of assistant principals to be vice principals so that I've got four vice principals within my um, within the secondary phase of the school. One uh, leads on Key Stage 3, one is head of Key Stage 4, one is head of Key Stage 5, and one is a, a director of education that does whole school improvement. And then the assistant principals that I have kind of map around those vice principals to drive each part of the school, kind of acting as mini de- head and deputy heads you know, in their own right, kind of them reporting in to me. But but equally, in answer to your question, sorry, because I kind of deviated a bit there, about high-level visibility. Um, and you can have two types of visibility, in my mind, around a school. One which is toxic, which is where you're you're about, but all you're doing is watching people and, and scrutinising and criticising, which is the one I don't subscribe to. Um, and the other is to actually be positively... Um, helpful um by being a positive presence by going in and out of lessons making sure that everything is okay that teachers are happy that the teachers are supported if they feel that they need it um but you're not doing it from the lens of scrutiny and criticism you're doing it from a genuine supportive standpoint uh, and for me that would probably be a big takeaway um is that sense of positive visibility Mm-hmm. and that's a really interesting point sam so how, how do you balance so you look you said at the beginning of um, the podcast that you, you know your first thing you did was you went in and met with all the staff mm. and then you know you're thinking somebody who's listening to this who's you know into a new into a, a headship or you know deputy yeah. headship or whatever it is how do you kind of balance that making sure that you get around all the staff but equally making sure that you're out on the corridors in lessons mm. and doing all that sort of stuff was that a conscious thing that you kind of mapped right i'll spend this number of periods in lessons this amount of time with with staff or is it more sort of flexible than that there there is a conscious effort to make sure that in any one um given day i'll go out at least half a dozen times Mm. across the school 
Um, equally, I've got the, the fail-safe of knowing that we've got a duty rotor amongst the senior teams. There are always two, if not three, senior leaders that will walk the corridors of the school. So if, for sake of argument, I'm in a, a half-a-day-long meeting, which can happen, of course, um, I know that I've got senior leaders that are present, present that are visible, that are across the school, because um, you know, they're going to sort of say this in a sycophantic sense, but they're an embodiment of, of me in many regards as part of the leadership team. So there's always a leadership presence across the school. Um, but you know, as much as I possibly can, I will go out and about and, and walk the corridors. I think that's so important. And I'll meet and greet pupils at the start of the day in main reception, which is, again, part of our institution approach. We say good morning to every single pupil um, as they come into the building. And I like your line that you said there that behaviour is everyone's responsibility. And, you know, I mean, yeah. I, I just took that away. I'm just thinking you almost kind of visualise the person, don't you, when you said the sacrificial assistant head lamb who's yeah. sort of run, running yeah. around and um, trying to smile while every member of staff say, have you got a minute? Yeah. Can I just, can you, you know, yeah. oh, that kind of thing. Yeah, so that's a really interesting kind of shift in there. Not, not saying that they're not responsible, but that everybody no. is kind of feeding into that. It has to be a collective responsibility. I think the, the, the danger is if you've got one senior leader that is in charge of behaviour, and no matter how good they are, they're going to drop the ball at some point, not because they're inept or incapable, but just because of the volume of, of issues that, that arise in a normal school day, in any school day. You only need two or three safeguarding issues, and it's you know, that's your day gone. It could be a week gone, potentially. If you've got to fill in an EHA, as, as another example, that's half a day gone. So it, it does need a, a big investment, I would argue. And I personally feel that's one of your biggest school improvement drivers is that if you get behaviour right, teachers can teach, things then click into place. Yeah, and I suppose that you making the, the, you know, the, very clear what the expectations were and having that clarity around expectations means it's easier for everyone to be responsible for behaviour because when you've got yeah. a complicated behaviour system that people don't know whether they're doing right or doing wrong mm. or if they intervene with something, they're undermining somebody else, it becomes really problematic. So actually distilling your, yeah. your, your kind of policy down to quite a few bullet points and living that yeah. makes it a lot easier yeah. for everyone to buy into it, doesn't it? Absolutely, and, that, and that's what we've got simple bullet points which are on display in every single classroom across the whole school understood by everybody and, and it makes life really easy so just um we've got I'm jumping around a little bit but obviously the teaching was linked to the curriculum so i'm interested with yeah. your kind of model for lessons there so you talked about meet on door and you meet and greet then you then you go into um do you say it was a, a do now activity and then yeah so yeah so just Sorry. tell us a little bit more about the kind of the structure of, of lessons and, you know, what kind of things you're using to kind of inform your teaching and learning policy. Yeah, so as, as, I, as I said, teachers will meet and greet pupils at the door, so they'll say good morning, etc. Um, there is uh, an, an instant series of do now um, retrieval practice questions. Uh, there's normally five or ten that kick off any one given lesson. Pupils will then be given the answers and they'll either self or peer mark, so they get instant uh, feedback on their answers and very often that will be linked to their homework which is to read their knowledge organizers um, and then a, the teacher will introduce the the big question for the lesson which is kind of the hinterlanding in a christine council sense of the kind of the the framework for which all of the core disciplinary knowledge that's going to be discussed in that lesson will, will hinge around um, teachers will then introduce the the context of the lesson so it'll take maybe one or two minutes to do that and then they go into the lesson delivery itself. 
we haven't prescribed how teachers should do that across the school because my view is that every subject is different. Uh, so whilst there is an institutional kind of routine to begin the lesson, what then happens is up to the teacher themselves. But we, we have put um, visualisers across the whole school uh, we've, and we've, we've trained staff in how to use those and we're moving slowly but surely towards the use of workbooks across the school as well. So we've started in year 10 and it's a five-year kind of curriculum drive that each year we will go with a, another year group and embed workbooks into that year group. So next year, it's year 11. Then we'll bounce down into year seven, then year eight, then year nine. So we, we're in four and a bit years' time, the whole school will have workbooks. Um, and, but what we found is that departments have, have really taken to those in year 10, and actually they're starting to creep into year 11, 12, and 13 already. Mm. Yeah, and, and the school I was working at previously had kind of gone down that road as well and I found that really useful mm. for, for, for numerous things because it did reinforce the routines because the retrieval practice was built into that. It reinforced the kind of recapping yep. previous knowledge, the rose and shine, you know, principles of instruction. It then Absolutely. made it clear what the overview was in terms of the, the, the big learning across the topic and it, yeah. it ensured that consistency of, you know, of content at least and hopefully, you know, with yeah. some CPD as well, the consistency of the delivery of the, of the teachers. And it, it was really, really good. So it's definitely something that I would look at, if, um, you know, moving forward. Can I just ask mm. you as well, in terms of the through school? So, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time yeah. uh, working across primary schools as part of the TDT role that I've had for the last few years. And, you know, one, yeah. of, the, one of the difficulties with, you know, the new sort of focus on curriculum and, and obviously primary school teachers, you know, uh, you know I, I don't know how they do it in terms of the breadth of knowledge that they need to have mm. to teach across, you know, right, right from EYFS, Key Stage 1, stage two but do you yeah. think do you think that being a, a through school has helped you in terms of designing your curriculum and maybe staffing that across the school and i suppose your chapter on cpd you know have you used secondary and um key stage five teachers to be able to come into key stage two and, th and one and, yeah. and help teachers there yeah i, I mean if i'm you know, really honest about where we're at the, the next thing we've got to develop because we only go up to the um up to year five at the moment. We're yet to get year six, which is next year. Right. Um, so, so the primary phase within the school isn't, isn't full. It hasn't you know, fully, fully grown. Um, so there is, the, next, the next bit for us is to develop the, the key stage two to key stage three crossover for our own school and to have that all through curriculum just for the Dustin school. Um, but that said, we are very mindful of what is taught at Key Stage 2, and we've trained middle leaders to really consider that, to think very carefully about what are the starting points of the Year 7s when they come up into the secondary phase from across the, the array of schools. We draw from about 45 different schools, so it's hard, obviously, to, to gain control, so to speak, over, over those. Um, but... You know, we, we've we've sent secondary staff out to those primary schools to see what they do. Uh, within the context of our own school, we've got secondary phase staff that teach within the primary phase, so their understanding of what the year two, year three, year four, etc., are capable of has really increased and really developed, and that's really helped us to think really sharply about our year seven and our year eight curriculum in many regards. Um, kind of the next step again would be that year five and year six teachers overlap into year seven and eight within the secondary phase of the school uh, and i think there are still lessons we can learn from the primary um, side of the school that perhaps we haven't tapped into enough uh, and that again is that is kind of the next developmental phase for us as a school in many regards and that's really exciting mm. 
Mm. Uh, speaking of exciting, so you've done a chapter on CPD and, and workload, mm. and, and we, we mentioned earlier on how much kind of outward-facing stuff that you do. And obviously, you know, I mean, I do quite a lot of outward-facing stuff now via this podcast and, and Twitter and things yeah. like that. But, you know, that really does have a, a positive influence, doesn't it, in terms of the, the staff? Because, you know, you're finding out, it, you know, Twitter, for all the good and bad parts of it, is, is extremely good CPD. So yeah. tell us a little bit about what you talk about in the, the chapter about CPD and workload. Yeah, so in terms of, uh, of CPD, if we start with that, that bit, um, we, we'll try, again, I'll try and relate it to what we've done with the staff where I am, actually, which is to give staff four ring fence days in any one academic year. Um, talk a little bit about the, the nature of the training that we've done internally um, through the curriculum and how we've tried to train middle leaders in the curriculum. Uh, equally, how we try to train staff in general. Um, around the curriculum uh, in its broadest sense, uh, but also to think about, I mean, one area that it takes about a year to really effectively train people and how to, to use them are big questions, um, which, it, which is a big kind of step away from learning objectives. Um, and it takes a while for staff to get their head around how to do that. But that's another area, uh, again, in terms of, of training that we've, we've trained staff in. Um, Behaviour being another area that we've spent a lot of time training staff and I, and I relate to and refer to that within the book as well uh, and then in terms of workload it's the the assault of um, different things we've done to try and make workload um, more manageable for staff so reducing the number of data captures the number of mock exams the uh, email use that we have across the school the approach to marking uh, the approach to co-planning and the workbooks that I've that I referenced a few minutes ago as well um, giving time to departments to be able to think about the curriculum and getting rid of all the kind of other fluff and, and something you referenced a few minutes ago was the that kind of ticking pressure when you join to, to get results and to go for that kind of intervention circus of madness in year 11, which, which can happen in many schools. We actually really rationalised that when I joined and restricted it to kind of a, almost a blitzkrieg mentality of a, a 10-week countdown following kind of February half term to the exams where we then put quite a lot of intervention into our year 11. But it was more academic and uh, credible using my, my own staff to deliver class timetable days to uh, the year 11s for saying maths, English, um, science uh, big lectures was another thing that, that we have and is, is kind of really embedded within the school now so quite literally it's a case of taking half the year group the year group into our main hall and delivering them university style a big lecture on whatever topics we want to deliver to them um, as another approach and we, we found that that's helped um, not just the pupils but also to upskill staff so to give you an example in English, they will deliver a big lecture um, kind of every fifth lesson uh, within their curriculum delivery. And you've got the absolute expert within the team who's kind of you know, put themselves forward as knowing everything about the context of Jekyll and Hyde, for sake of argument. And you've got NQTs in there feeding off that member of staff. You, that's CPD in its own right. You wouldn't get that if you went to a day course in London, for sake of argument. So there's just a few examples. No, that's really good. I'd never thought of that. I mean, that's that's a win-win in terms of the pupils are benefiting from the specialist knowledge of the yeah. teacher, but also the teachers. Yeah. You know, we can't all be experts across all of, of no. our field, can we? So it's it's no, not real life CPD. You know, there and then in front of the pupils. So that's that's a really interesting take on that. 
Mm. So in terms of the workload, you mentioned a couple of things. So you mentioned the emails, you've mentioned, um, yeah. you know, that the data captures. You know, I've, I spoke to Kat Howard about, you know, her book, which is it probably it's out now, in fact, as we speak. So uh, that's yeah. stopped talking about well-being. So, you know, mm. obviously you're living that kind of thing rather than just, you know, talking about it occasionally. So are there any more examples of things that you did in terms of workload? Yeah, I, I mean, we've got a... Uh... Actually, it features in Cat's book, to be fair, but we've got a workload charter. Uh, it's almost like I knew that, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you did. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we do 1,105 hours rather than 1,265, yeah. uh, as another example. Um, I'm, I'm fairly liberal in terms of giving staff time to go to, um, you know, it's, it's their five-year-old's Christmas nativity. Mm. They're never going to get that again. I'm quite happy that, you know, we will let them do that. Um, or there's a, an immovable uh, dental procedure, you know, so it's going down a sort of a crass route. But we will give staff, you know, the, the, the flexibility and the time to do that as well. Uh, we give every department two faculty away days in the sixth half term of the year where they can meet together as a team and discuss priorities and plan um, whatever it is they need to do uh, in anticipation of, uh, of the new academic year. Um, the the twilight training time because obviously you've got your five statutory training days of the year we do two inset days and the rest we do as twilights but we will by and large we will take maybe half an hour of that time um, to talk to the staff and then give the rest of that time um, unless we've got a keynote speaker in so, so we've had Christine Council as one example Tom Sherrington as another Tom Bennett as another uh, but we'll give the lion's share of that time to departments to do things specific to their curriculum. Uh, and I think the other, the other thing that's helped in terms of workload is communicating things out really, really early. Um, so to give you an example, um, on Monday, I signposted kind of loosely what the school improvement plan for September would be. And I'll do that in more detail just before Easter. So staff have got the best part of the summer term to really think about it and then to action whatever needs to be actioned in time for September, rather than, you know, I've been under you know, regimes that have done this, they'll tell you on Friday that for Monday this is happening. We, we don't do that with our staff. We give them lots of time to think about things and lots of time to, to question, um, and if necessary, to challenge as well if something isn't right. No, I mean, it's fascinating stuff. So um, just to wrap it up, if we can, a little bit, Sam, now. Yeah. So um, obviously, like I said, the books, uh, as we speak, hopefully going to be out now. So it's Education Exposed, Leading a School in a Time of Uncertainty. So I yeah. know that you're involved in speaking at quite a lot of conferences, in, involved mm. in putting on your own conferences as well. So yeah. um, just tell us a little bit about where we can see you speaking next, uh, where we can find out more information, and I guess importantly, where we can find the book yeah, so the book is available on Amazon and um, it's also uh, going to be sold in Waterstones and, uh, and Heffers and some of the other big uh, bookshops. Um, and the, the publisher is John Cat, so John Cat is kind of everywhere uh, as a publisher. Uh, in terms of where I'll be uh, speaking next, um, I've got Brewhead Northampton, uh, which I think is the 8th of February off memory. Um, I'll be talking at Research Ed's uh, Rugby um in may and then again in uh, october at surrey we've also got shameless plug here but research ed northampton at the dustin school on the 10th of october and i will probably no doubt talk at that as well uh to to fill one of the the many many slots that will be uh, uh you know there to fill uh, so there's a few few points within the year that I'll, i will be talking 
Brilliant, brilliant. So I know that, that obviously it's extremely popular when you do go and speak about that, and I know that the book will be you know received really, really well. And I'm certainly got my uh, pre-ordered copy ready to go. Thank so, you. That's really kind. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, was, I mentioned this. I, I started off the podcast. I started off by not saying too much about the day job, but I've just, as listeners will know, taken over as a um, deputy head, and I'm doing behaviour. So um, <laughs> it's definitely going to be a book that I'm going to be reading and uh, and living. So that's why I was probably drilling down to a few of those questions because uh, I'm right at the start of the journey but i'm very fortunate that i'm working with some great people who are you know brilliantly supportive and and, and the pupils and everything great so far so it's uh it, it seems to be all going very well but uh, the book will be really useful to have your experiences in terms of how you've done that and the success that you've had and you know we look at those scores on the doors i mean i know it's not all about that but obviously we're looking mm. at outcomes and, and things for pupils and you know make it better for them it, it, it's fantastic so heartily recommend it if anyone gets to come and see sam speak then i heartily recommend that as well and uh, yeah we'll look forward to seeing you on the research ed circuit at, at some point during the year Thank you, and best of luck with your new role. And you know, again, Seamus Tug, if you ever want to come and visit, you're very welcome. Well, undoubtedly, yes, if I, if I can get out. I mean, I'm at the stage where we <laughs> talked about at the beginning, which is, uh, you know, I'm on the corridors and I'm in the classrooms. I think that's at the moment. Mm. But, yeah, moving forward, definitely that was something to do. And I know that... Um, Graham and, and Chris at St George's. Um, I think yeah. you, you've you've been to them, have you, or have they been to yours? I have, both. But yeah, but both ways. They've been to my school and I've been to theirs. And they speak very highly of that. I've done a lot of work um, in, with the CPD there at St George's. It's a fabulous school, uh, and, and Graham yeah, and, and Chris are, are brilliant. So they're they're doing a lot of the things that you're talking about as well. So yeah, if you're interested in that, see those schools. But otherwise, uh, get the book, yeah. which will be uh, out now, won't it? As we speak. Yeah, indeed, indeed, yeah. Okay, thanks for your time, Sam, tonight. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks Good. a lot. Take care. Miller's Netter, just talking to teachers. Podcast pedagogy. What is Phil reading this week? Podcast pedagogy, listening to teachers. Miller's Netter, just talking to teachers. Okay, so after last week's discussion, uh, I may have revealed my huge admiration slash slight obsession for all things George Orwell. And I have to admit to having read all the novels, even A Clergyman's Daughter, and the essays alongside the more well-known classics, i.e. Animal Farm and 1984. So the reason to revisit this is that Orwell's sociological investigations into the working class of Wigan, Sheffield, Leeds uh, and other places gave him an immersion into the lives of the working class people of the North. So he found true faith in the spirit, decency and work ethic of the miners and their families. And it chimed for me following our discussion last week as to whether we as leaders fully understand the communities we serve, uh, whether in more disadvantaged areas much has indeed changed in 2020. So I'm not trying to or seeking to make any kind of political point here, merely signposting any of you not familiar with this book to have a look a little bit deeper. So the book is in two sections, uh, and the first section having seven chapters. So chapter one uh, looks at the Brooker family uh, and their living conditions. Chapter two is Orwell's immersion. So those of you that are familiar with Orwell, you know, from down and out in Paris and London, for example, where he went out uh, tramping. He also got immersed into the life of the workers in the mines and went down the mines uh, in Wigan to experience the conditions for himself. Chapter three looks at the social situation of the working people and to me has echoes of 2020. And chapter four um, looks at the living conditions and with chapter five looking at 
unemployment. But chapter six for me is the one that really speaks to us uh, when he's talking about food. And Orwell looks at the diet of the working class uh, and the miners and understands why they would rather buy something tasty than perhaps something healthy to enrich their dull lives a little bit. So part two is not really the focus of an education podcast uh, with its controversial arguments, not least on the merits of socialism. So that's up to you to decide for yourself on your political persuasions. But If you'd like to read something following on from Matt's discussion last week, then why not start with one of the greats of literature um, and have your appetite appetite whetted for some more then. If you would like to look at this, The Road to Wigan Pier is published by Penguin Classics and is available everywhere. So this week into the music section. So as we know, we are strictly vinyl on Nailers Natus. So imagine the excitement when I ordered the Cortina's new album, which is a nightmare for those of you grammar pedants out there. So it's more full stop again, full stop forever, full stop. And it's the sixth studio album by Manchester's Cortina's. Uh, having said, yeah, as I said before, I ordered the vinyl last Friday as an old school indie man. I was very, very excited about this. And as you will know, thanks to my vintage, uh, I was at uni for Wonderwall uh, in the late 20s for Mr. Brightside and already old by the time of the Arctic Monkeys, so I'm steeped in the indie genre. Uh, the Cortinas don't seem to command huge headlines, but uh, if you try getting a ticket for any of their shows, they regularly sell out pretty much immediately. So what of the new record? Well... There are some more adventurous tracks, uh, including the ferocious heart attack and the catchy heavy jacket. And there are some big chorus sing-alongs, including the title track, which is an instant earworm for me. And I'm humming it uh, to myself as we speak. There are also a couple of more introspective, thoughtful songs, including um, Heaven Can Wait, um, which is a really, really great song. So... Previous Parties uh, is a song which has a very interesting lyric and it sums where the Cortinas are up to. So the lyric goes, all we do is go to parties and talk about parties we used to go to. Whereas all I do is go to my children's friends' parties and don't really talk about anything. But in summary, if you are interested in this album, it's a, it's pretty much a solid, exactly what it says on the tin, exactly what you expect album, and definitely one for the gym playlist or maybe even a vinyl purchase. So more again forever is out now. In terms of the film recommendation, I'm sad to say that with a busy week, I have not quite yet got round to watching 1917, which is the Sir Sam Mendes um, directed World War One epic. But I'm hearing great reviews for that. I'm booked in to go and see that later in the week, so hopefully get a chance to review that. But if any listeners have been and uh, either listened to the Cortina's album or have got any suggestions of their own or been to watch 1917 and would like to offer any correspondence there, then I would welcome that alongside the usual um, comments on the guests and on their books. So anything you want via the website, which is nailersnatter.co.uk. Nailers Natter, just talking to teachers. Podcast pedagogy. What is Phil reading this week? Podcast pedagogy, listening to teachers. Nailers Natter, just talking to teachers. 
So moving into the limited shameless plugs section this week, and we have plugs for Research Ed Birmingham coming up soon in March for the massive Research Ed Blackpool, which is well and truly sold out at 700 and 50 people coming soon just a big thank you to jude hunton for asking me to come along to research ed rugby and speaking of jude he is going to be doing a guest presenting job on nailers natter which we're doing episode talking about educating links which will be coming up fairly soon speaking of guest hosts we have emma turner coming up fairly soon with a podcast with sam twistleton but um in the next week's podcast, really, really excited about next week's podcast. I recorded it last Friday and I put some things out on Twitter about that. So I had a really good chat with Tom Rogers. So that will be next week's podcast. Um, just again to say thank you very much for listening to Nailers Natter. And we'll see you at the same time next week. Nailers Natter, just talking to teachers. Talking to teachers about academic research and evidence-based practice with continuing professional development at PNA1977 on Twitter. Nailers Natter, just talking to teachers.